0: This is Christy Drutman, and you are listening to Brown Girl Green. I interview environmental leaders and advocates about workplace and member diversity and inclusion and finding creative solutions to the climate crisis. I'm working to change the image of what it means to be an environmentalist in the 21st century. In this week's episode of Brown Girl Green, we're talking about the important concept of self-care, And I'm not just talking about the self-care that involves hyaluronic acid gel pads under your eyes or Epsom salt baths, because while that's all super nice and bougie, I want to talk about the concept of self-care as a tool of survival, especially when it comes to the climate crisis. A lot of people don't think that mental health has anything to do with climate change, but that's where you're wrong. The climate crisis is going to continue challenging our mental and emotional resilience in ways that some of us don't even know yet. Recently, the World Health Organization actually released a report where they surveyed 101 countries highlighting climate-related health risks connected to climate catastrophes, natural disasters happening around the world, and mental health was on that list. Additionally, Some of the impacts that were related to these climate-related disasters include risk of childhood diarrhea caused by a food supply potentially more vulnerable to pathogens, heat waves creating dangerous labor conditions for workers, and increased disease risk from chronic exposures to things like air pollution for prolonged amounts of time later in life. Jumping back to mental health, in this report, they actually indicated that climate change could actually impact some of the mental health issues that people have. And they're indicated now as climate sensitive conditions. Out of the 101 countries surveyed for this report, only six countries emphasize that mental health was considered a public health risk related to climate disasters. Katie Hayes, a climate change and mental health researcher, recently published in the International Journal of Mental Health Systems, that she believes that there needs to be a greater conversation around the connections between mental health and the climate crisis. She writes in the Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health, extreme weather events like flooding, hurricanes, and wildfires have been linked to depression, anxiety, PTSD, and suicidal ideation. Some diseases, such as vector-borne diseases like West Nile virus and Lyme disease, may compound these mental health issues for people with pre-existing mental health illness. It's really important that we're talking about how mental health fits into the conversation around the climate crisis, because as more people feel the uh, weight of the climate crisis on their shoulders, there needs to be a discussion of how that vulnerability can also impact a person's uh, resilience to overcome and adapt these circumstances. And also, uh, as we talk a lot in, in this show, I'm very much concerned specifically about indigenous black and brown communities who are on the front lines of the climate crisis and are being impacted and will be hit First and worst, who are being impacted and who will be hit, who are being impacted and who will be hit first and worst by the climate crisis. I think that we need to talk about how brown and black people and indigenous. We need to be talking about how indigenous black and brown folks specifically are learning how to develop tools of self-care and resilience in their communities and learning that they don't need to feel guilty for that. That in fact, by taking care of our mental health and taking care of our communities as they're dealing with uh, emotional distress from the environment as it continues to be affected by climate disasters, that we're actually holding space for that. We're not ignoring that. We're not sweeping it under the rug. We're actually staring it in the face and saying, hey, this is okay. We can we can hold each other in this. And I think it's interesting that if we're not talking about mental health as a public health related crisis, especially when it comes to climate change, we're not talking about the greater impacts that the climate crisis is going to have on society overall. So I wanted to make this episode specifically to talk about how I have navigated self-care as an environmentalist and talking to my friend Brittany Enan, who is a self-care expert about her tips, on how you can start reclaiming your time and your space and take care of yourself, especially in some of the dark times that we're facing right now. So I hope you enjoy this week's episode and hit that subscribe button while you're at it. Hi everyone, this is another episode of Brown Girl Green. I am joined today with my friend Brittany. She literally has been like an angel that has come into my life in the past year has literally given me hashtag real talk truths about how to not be complacent in my own self-love and self-care journey, how to take control, how to take ownership. And so we are going to be talking about how to be a brown girl queen and how to master self-care or not master, Let's. No, you can never master. You can never master yeah. a lifelong just journey start. of self-care just starting yeah. a self-care routine and how to feel supported if you haven't felt that way before. So anyways, let's start off. We were already talking about some amazing stuff before this call even happened. The reason why I wanted to do a whole conversation about self-care is because a lot of my friends and people who I work with seem to just like kind of not do a great job at it. To say nicely, they just don't prioritize it and they're not taught to prioritize it. And there's a lot of reasons for that, which we'll go into in a second. But I just felt like, you know, self-care has been such a huge part of my life. It's been a huge part of my life, especially in the past year and a half. I experienced a traumatic brain injury where I got a concussion because my dad accidentally slammed the car door in my head. Still love you, dad. But also, also, yeah, I like had to really slow down, like physically, like literally had to slow down and take the time to really understand who am I, what what are my needs and to like not feel so bad about that. And I've realized like, especially as like a young woman of color, that like that is such a huge challenge for me to like really like advocate for myself and what my needs are. And that in general, I've just spent my whole life not thinking that that was okay to, like, speak up for myself. So, yeah, so I just wanted to hand it over to you to just, like, lay down this stuff. Because I think people need, like, self-care 101, why, why institutional oppression is just toxic. And how we need to unlearn this stuff
1: (laughs) right yeah so hi everyone my name is Brittany Enan I'm a recent graduate of UC Berkeley and a very passionate advocate for how self-care is an important part of like endeavor and so like I definitely resonate with a lot of what Christy said you know we were both Cal students and you know this institution is very toxic And it's a microcosm of, you know, the regular capitalist patriarchy that we are both actually entering into. So just got hired in San Francisco and I'm just like, oh, okay, great. Like new bureaucracy. <laughs> I gotta figure it out. Like, I'm still a black woman in America. I'm like they yes. <laughs> can tell me any day. Like my degree will actually not protect me, you know? And so I think like self-care college looks very different from like being in the nine to five like patriarchy. <laughs> I also went through a hard time at Cal. I wrote an article about it. Basically, low-income first-gen college student, had to support a family, do other, you know, marginalized people things. And it really took a toll on my holistic health, but especially my mental health. And I experienced a really bad mental breakdown my junior year. And, you know, because I was juggling the whole world, I ended up Like having to really pause and check in with myself and be like, damn, but is not working. Like, you're going to be mad. You're going to be bitter. You're going to be sad. And you're probably not going to graduate. (laughs) <laughs> so, I remember the first thing I resolved to do was sleep every night. You know, college students like sleep, and, and especially at a super competitive place like UC Berkeley, like, you know, it's almost as if if you take care of yourself, you're seen as inferior. Like, yes,
0: <laughs> god. Like, oh my god,
1: why would you sacrifice eight precious hours of studying to take care of yourself? Like, your GPA is gonna go hang down. And I'm just like, you know what, let it go down, because at the end of the day, like, GPA is not going to save my life, because I'm still a Black woman in America, like, yes, they can tell me any day, like, my degree will actually not protect me, you know, and so I think, like, I took my self-care journey with the same kind of militancy that I did with, like, you know, my commitment to social justice, like, you know, how do I create an alternative microcosm of being that, you know, gives me access to resist the forces that, like, try to eat away at my humanity, I feel like it's, more folks thought about it in that way people would legitimize it more so I did that work for a whole year for myself you know started to sleep try to prioritize community because I'm like you know and I think another thing about being in the UC Berkeley institution is like you know you think that people are going to be in the same place forever um, but they're not and I remember one of my mentors ended up going to Baltimore and like, you know, he was really cardinal for, you know, giving me access to resources to like help me support my family without like killing myself. And so like, I was really sad because, you know, I kept telling, oh, I'm gonna have lunch with you or we're gonna hang out or we're gonna have like fun or whatever. But then- you know, he ended up leaving, and it's like, oh wow, like I took your existence for granted, right? And like, and I can't live life thinking that like, you know, everyone's just gonna be there for me to pick up when it's convenient. So I was like, yeah, okay, I need to make sure to you know treasure everyone that I'm around and make time for community because it's good, right? And oftentimes, being an authentic community with folks has given me access to you know community healing and community care you know that helps give me more resources to self-care and like to support my dreams and all these other things and so as I was working through these two mindsets I was like it actually culminated into an opportunity at my old job to do a workshop on health and wellness so I'm a public health major or I was a public health major and so health and wellness is something you know I've always been passionate about but then I'm also was an African-American studies minor. And so it's like, okay, health and wellness for marginalized people and black people. Yeah. So, yeah. And so I'm, oh, I'm always someone that's always reflecting on systems and really thinking about, okay, why is it that we exist the way that we do? And so I was asked to do or I volunteered to do the health and wellness presentation for my coworkers, and I was like, "Yeah, the capitalist patriarchy is not going to create environments where it's the self-care, whatever." And you know, we have to be able to advocate for that. You know, because that's all I really did. Like I had to advocate for everything on this campus, but like you know, yeah. like from extensions to you know getting um, accommodations to saying no to you know finding ways to you know give me the the room that I needed to be excellent right and I put all of that in the power plant where it's like this is really important but you have to also understand this is our environment and that if you don't know how to self-care now and this really impressive academic microcosm like it's not like the world is going to change <laughs> and encourage you to do that after you leave so know. you're actually like investing in your well-being in the future in the long term if you learn how to do it now and so folks were like, oh, my God, i you to changed my whole life. I've been baptized like shit. <laughs> ah, ah. And I was like, damn, I'm just speaking my truth. But OK, <laughs> like so, encouraged by the. Um, response from my workplace peers and, you know, the, the folks I was working with, I decided to turn it into a business. So I have started assignments as a self-care consultant. And so I, you know, everyone's self-care is going to look different. And everyone has different stories to tell, different ways that they're impacted, different, you know, traumas, growing pain, all of these things that impact people's willingness and readiness to engage with self-care. And so, I was talking to my mentors and pampers. I was like, hey, I'm trying to start something. Like, you know, you've seen, you know, how I've written and like I'm always talking about it. And they were like, oh yeah, Brittany, like we would love to have you come and do a workshop for our folks. And so I yeah, did a workshop for graduate students of color. They were like, oh shit. And I was like, yeah, so spill your edges, you know. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it was, it was really great. I've still used that original PowerPoint that I made for my co-workers as the basis for my business and just tweak it as necessary and you know the thing I also like about my business is that like you know right now I have a, an emphasis and focus on college students and college students of color especially but you know as I now nav- learn how to navigate the regular capitalist patriarchy like I'll be able to like expand and learn through my own engagements you know how to like meet people where they are and you know their own self-care growing pains in the regular capitalist patriarchy but i think you know it's a very different world like in regular bureaucracy an office and white collar kind of environments where people literally are disassociating they're not being their authentic selves it's like oh if i do people use it against me and i'm like shit that's so real but also like it's not but it comes at a cost right to our emotional and spiritual health even i was doing onboarding you know for my job for the last few weeks like i get tv shows and all these other things make sure you ain't gonna die or whatever and like <laughs> um i went to go get my fingerprinting done and you know as usual all the people of color are like you know in the like lesser kind of roles like you know regular cogs of like you know maintaining the bureaucracy but not getting paid like you know maintaining the bureaucracy, whatever um i love that you just
0: like <laughs> throw in these like side gems <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Anyways, go on. I'm listening. I'm listening. It's great. I'm eating this up, by the way. This is a gift to me. This is a brown girl green gift of the day.
1: I know, so, like, we can talk about it. But, you know, the thing about it is, like, the person who I was talking to was impacted by those horses, but, like, keep it to the side. So, like, she, you know, she was, you know, um, you know, putting my fingers on the fingerprinting pad. And, like, she was like, yeah, you know... Yeah, I'm like someone like I've been working here for like, you know, hella forever. I'm like fifty seven years old and I was like, but she looked a cool thirty five and I was like, yes. yes. Yes, Queen. You were I thought you were my older sister, but you yes. did that. Um and she was like yeah I've been working but you know I'm just so tired all the time you know like I would sooner sleep than eat and in my head I'm like this woman's depressed you know and how can we live in a world where you know a black woman can say that and not receive any help because if it was a Becky we all know that someone would have called you know the nearest therapist in the area oh my god Becky that's so sad here are some resources to help you get what you need but no Oh, because she happens to be a melanated queen. It's like, oh, that's just her. It's whatever. You know, our internalized notion of the strong Black woman is just going to supersede here. And we're just going to let her continue to be in pain and go on with our lives. Because that's the way our anti-Black misogyny has been integrated into our life practice. Whatever. So, you know, seeing that, oh, it was kind guy. of like... Damn, you know, like she is everything I don't want to be at age 57, you know, and I blame, you know, our environment, you know, I blame, you know, the workspace that doesn't even know how to look out for her cuz she's literally said like I tell my coworkers all the time. I'm like, yo, like coworkers like y'all, how do we not know how to like look out for each other in that way? Like it makes me really like honestly like very sp- not scared but just hypercritical where it's like, damn, like this is this really how it works, you know? Like yes. I don't wanna have to, to fucking do that. <laughs> But, you know, in my head, it was like, you know, this is why, you know, my work is so important. And, you know, the way I responded to her when she told me that, I was like, you know, the reason why you're so tired is because you're having to deal with the micro, meso, and macro aggressions of being a Black woman in the world and not getting any support whatsoever. And she was like, ooh, are getting all deep on me. And I was like... I mean, it's true, you know, I, and she was like, yeah, you know, I'm always having to smile all the time and be positive. I'm like, as someone who has to do the same thing, like, I definitely empathize. But you two are deserving of help, queen. And, you know, she definitely let her guard down a lot more. Once I started, you know, legitimizing and naming the forces mm-hmm. that have been making her so
0: tired. Do you think like one of like the big issues that people face when it comes to self care is because they don't really know that like, it is legitimate, and, like, they just don't know how to, like, define it for themselves, like, do you think that's, like, a a main reason why that happens? Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, depending on your place
1: in society, you, you internalize certain things as normal, right, and, you know, that's something I've even experienced being a first-gen college student, where a lot of the things that, you know, I thought were really funny, or, like, you know, ways of communicating were actually really oppressive. Before I, I came to Cal, like, I really thought, oh, yeah, if I go get my degree, I'm gonna be, get this American dream, get out of poverty, blah, 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 and, you know, I'm not black, you know, I'm African, you know, ah, god. know oh <laughs> my god, story of um, my life, though, TVA, t-h- <laughs> it's real, and, you know, and then I had no, like, concept for multicultural relationships so I was dividing people by stereotypes or whatever oh my god me too I remember one time I saw she was an Asian American queen she had a name after an anime I watched like in middle school and I was like you're Japanese right and she's like no I'm Filipino and I was like shit oh my
0: god <laughs> that is hilarious was but all so... this little saying
1: is like you know before I, when <laughs> I saw ended, the light right before right, you saw like, the light right, of day right <laughs> before I saw the light, right? Like I was navigating with the the current practice of normal that I had, right? And so I think, you know, really naming and legitimizing the forces that, you know, that and really kind of giving people a way to like notice that force, right? Making the invisible visible, right? She's probably been working for so long. She's just taken, you know, the oppressive forces that she has to work in like as normal, right? And oh, yeah. so- the ways that you know I, you know, love and empower the folks around me is by saying, no, you're fucking amazing. The things you're going through is violent and like you are deserving of getting support to do that.
0: Yes. And like, I don't know, even in this moment right now, as we're doing this interview, I feel like, you know, as I've done Brown Girl Green, like it's been amazing. It's been like this awesome journey of me putting in a lot of my own like intentional labor and time into trying to create a culture shift Mm -hmm. no one's paying me for this no one's giving me any compensation for this labor and this emotional labor that I'm putting into any of this and that's because I'm passionate about it and I'm not expecting that right away obviously why I'm invested in it but you know people just expect me to just like drop my plans really quick and like be able to conform my schedule specifically to what they need all the time when like yeah, maybe their time is valuable, but it's, like, my time's valuable, too, like, this is, like, something that I constantly struggle with, because it's, like, oh, well, you're a young woman of color, like, what does your, what does your worth mean in the work that you're doing, like, you're just starting out, you don't really have, like, value to society, like, inherently, like, because it's how these institutions have played it out, where it's, like, you know, but then I, I keep, finding myself working so hard whether it was in school whether it was like in just like life in general just trying to like make a name for myself and putting these extreme idealism like visions of myself to be a perfectionist and to be perfect when I realized that this idea of perfect was rooted in white supremacy it was rooted in this idea of like Mm you can't look a certain way, you can't live a certain way. And I kept getting so pissed off that I was working so hard. And I was like seeing no real progress on certain things. And just like would cry Mm. myself to Mm. sleep feeling like, man, I'm working so hard. And then there's these other people out here, especially in the environmental field, who it's like, it seems like it's so easy for them. Like they talk about oppression, like it's a token on a monopoly board like Woo! they're like they're like diversity lane here uh like patriarchy here but it's like no this is my lived experience right. and as I'm delving further into this it's like I realize I'm not perfect I realize I've done learned a lot of this toxic stuff but guess what people especially people out there that identify as you know not coming from like marginalized identities like you have a responsibility and access to resources you have the responsibility to educate yourself and not expect women of color to teach you this stuff without compensating without compensating guys if
1: you want me to give you a lesson on i have my consulting base.
0: yes yes like you need to be thinking about that like okay it's
1: called reciprocity
0: yes reciprocity get it, get it. it's called you know especially for black folks reparations Ooh. like you need to if you really want to be an ally if you really care about these things like you need to realize that it can't just be like, oh, I support you, I love you on the surface. Or,
1: I did it for the one time, but now I'm an ally. Yes, I, I did give $20 it. To the I went to $20 too. I went to the women's I went to the women's no. it's done, like, no. That's not solidarity
0: because people like really I don't get to turn off our crushes Yeah, Thanks. there's not an off switch on Ooh. my melanin, Ooh. unfortunately. Mm like, there's been plenty of times where, like, unfortunately, I really have wished, like, I could navigate the world as a white man.
1: Oh, yeah, no. All the time. I'm, like, it must be, it
0: must be so nice. the unquestionable power. (laughs) Like, the unquestionable power to, like, really make a change in our society. Like, wow, like, how amazing. (laughs) Like, I wish, but here I am, existing and fighting for myself and advocating for myself and, like, it just gets really exhausting. And like something, a really brilliant mentor of mine, and I hope she watched this episode because she's all about self-care, told me is that these institutions, whether it's your workplace or the education place, is not built for people like me to succeed, especially in the environmental field, especially in more like fields where like, you know, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not like in these fields that are expected to just like make a ton of money right away at the, at the, cost, of at the cost of self-sacrifice and time and, time. Yeah. and, time yeah. and, and energy. energy and yeah. i recognize i recognize i have an immense amount of privilege to even have this show i get that i hear that but right. well, we can hold our oppression and privilege at yes time. and so when people yes. don't know how to do
1: that work that we're
0: all doing and it's like that's the thing like i feel like i'm constantly in this place of like holding my oppression and privilege at the same time and having people constantly invalidate my experiences and the work that I do and just be like oh you're not perfect you're not this martyr you're not this perfect person I put you on the pedestal for and guess what that's you again asserting oppressive systems that's not so I have to practice self-care to help you unlearn the stuff you should already be working on unlearning right this is like the angriest I've ever been on an episode of brown girl no, Bane. usually I'm, usually I'm hella cute like oh, just like, like the, thing
1: about it is the world needs to see women of color express our full range of emotions <laughs> all right you're right <laughs> so this is actually an important learning opportunity because the reality of it is is that our society you know we don't see you know people of color like we only see people of color in, in toxic binaries yeah like, either really happy or really angry yeah like everything else in between right and yeah only white people get that privilege <laughs> so that's why you know I always have a saying: Black women who cry, women of color who cry are revolutionary because we're not keeping our humanity on the inside anymore, right? Yes. We're showcasing to other women of color and other people of color that it is okay to like bear witness to the full spectrum of our emotions and still be valid.
0: Yes. Right? And like, what do you what do you do in this situation? Like when you're experiencing someone like violating your boundaries like how do you just hold them accountable and like you know even if it's as simple as like you know being like oh I know that you have these things back to back to back but I'm still gonna be like you need to do this thing for me (laughs) you need to be there for me in these ways right like yeah and you don't want to feel bad because you want to be this giver obviously because we're We're socialized we're socialized to be that that way so how do you how do you just be like no stop like this is what I need and like I'm not gonna apologize for it how do you do that right I mean I think like every
1: you know situation is different but I think that like for the most part it's just learning how to not like apologize for being me right and and that's the thing that I'm having to work through because I hate when people like don't mean what they say because for the majority of my life, one of my main traumas is people not meaning what they say. And like, oh, I'm gonna do this for you and then they don't do it, you know? And so it's, it pushes a particular trauma point when people overcommit, when people don't, you know, take the time to recognize their limitations and be able to give me a legitimate yes or no, like when trying to engage with me. But yeah, I think it just starts by calling that shit out. Like, you know, I didn't even have to do that With some of my friends, you know, who are on their own kind of journey with, you know, learning how to set boundaries. Like last day of school, I was I was in poetry for the people this semester, and I ran into a classmate. She was buying coffee, and I really need to go to the restroom. But she's like, "Oh, hey, do you want to watch the class together?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm down. But if y'all can wait for me, you know, I'm just gonna go to the restroom and then I'll come back. And then I go to the restroom and come back, they're gone, and I was like. Y'all said you would wait, like what happened, you know, and she was like, Oh, hey, I didn't want to be, you know, she messaged me on Facebook Messenger. I don't want to be late. So I left and I was like, Okay, Queen, like, while your grievance is valid, I'm gonna need you to learn how to say no next time. And she was like, No, you're right. You know, because I think that women of color, when we get slighted, we just kind of bury it, you know, like, well, you know, I'm not dead. So, you know, I cannot say anything about color. I want to be a whiny bitch. And it's like, no, actually, like, that was a growing opportunity for that person to teach them how to love you better. Right? Likewise, when folks don't follow through on things or they have to cancel, you know, I'm because of the particular pain points that it pushes when people don't follow through on their shit, like, I just cut them off and be like, look, like you're obviously not in a place where you can keep up your commitments. I'm gonna tell you to your face how much it hurt me that you didn't follow through and then I'm gonna just let you go, you know, because it's probably gonna hurt you more that I actually called you on your shit, right? And you need time to go and self-reflect and I don't need to be around that trauma. Deuces. And then, you know, pay me for my lost
0: time. Oh, my God. Yes.
1: Um, So it's a lot of uh, emotional labor on like, you know, trying to let people know where their problematic shit is. Right. Because I think that in the social justice community, we're really good at calling out systems or, you know, white people's privilege or whatever. But we don't really have the same kind of willingness to think about our own complicity and our own the ways in which we hurt other people with our growing pain. And how do we use that reality as a platform to be more compassionate with one another, right? Because I'm also very much against this disposability culture we have going on in the social justice community. Because someone has to teach you your problem about your problematic ways and bring you into the woke kingdom. Um, or <laughs> the woke oh, queendom.
0: You know? And no, that is... That is medicine. I love this. Yeah, but
1: I think it also just starts by knowing what your boundaries are and respecting them because if you if you are always making exceptions for people, then people are going to take advantage of you. I don't like to do things without being paid. Like, I don't like, you know, doing things without getting some form of reciprocity, right? And I always have to do a mental check-in. Like, you know... Why do I want to do the podcast this morning? Oh, yeah, I remember hanging out with Christy. It was so cool. She's amazing. It'll actually help me in my soul and my mental health and get me out this fucking house because I'm lonely as fuck because everyone kind of abandoned me after graduation. So let me just come and bless this queen with my existence. And to your other complaint about institutions not wanting to support you you know I think that oftentimes as women of color we're always told that oh you're even lucky to get into this hella white yes but the yes. thing about it is like we have to understand our value of like the world that we're like bringing to the table right and reflect that value back at the institution like y'all I'm not blessed to be here you're blessed to have me Right. And all of the intellectual and emotional and spiritual labor I have to do for all of your white ass constituents to help them learn how to love black people and other people of color better. Run me my hundred thousand dollar check for all the cultural competency trainings I do day in, day out. Like I literally wrote that in an article. It's deep, you know, and that's why, like, even with me navigating into the. San Francisco bureaucracy, like, I'm fully aware of my worth and what I bring to the table, and I was very real with my interview, and if they didn't want me in the space, they wouldn't have given me the job, right, so I think it's also knowing your magic, understanding that you are a blessing to the world, because we are, except like, um, the unfortunate exception, right, like, we are the ones who the systems didn't crush, right, and so, like, you know own your power and really teach these people about themselves, right? Even if they don't like it. We got nothing to lose right now. We don't. So.
0: Yes. Yeah. So where can people find your website, your business, how they can stay in touch with you? Yeah. I think this is going to start a series of self-care talks <laughs> featuring this queen because <laughs> I need to bring her back. I we unfortunately are running out of time today. Yeah. But, you know, I I want you all to stay in touch with her. So I'll pass it off to you to share your deeds. Yeah. So I'm on Twitter. I'm at nerd
1: N-E-R-D-Q-W-E-E-N. But I also have a website. It's bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash self-care consult, like all together. You can check out my website. You know, I can do individual consulting. I can do workshops. I also do anti-oppression workshops because my thing is if I can get privileged people to be less oppressive to marginalized people, it will actually impact their health in the long term. So I do that too. I'm also a masterful writer. So if you need me to like bless your essays or whatever, write your bios, like I can do that too. I also think that like helping people survive in systems is also a form of self-care, right? Because the reality of it is, is that we are in a capitalist society. And so if there's any way that I can help you you know, meet the minimum requirements of your survival, I'm down. And I can do that through
0: writing. Yes. That's <laughs> amazing. Well, share it with your friends, share it with your family, because people need to know about self-care. The light is shining down on this queen. <laughs> literally, literally this so this is brown girl green. I interview leaders and advocates about diversity and inclusion in the environmental field hope you catch me later for my next episode and thank you for joining us this morning bye you could have done so many things with this past hour of your life but you chose to listen to me Thank you for dedicating this time to listening to the Brown Girl Green podcast. I hope you smash that young subscribe button. Tell your friends and family and help me continue to save the planet. One podcast and post at a time. Follow me at Brown Girl Green. Catch you on the flip.